0: From Romans, the seventh chapter. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do, not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do, not what I want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, If I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin At work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are. In Christ Jesus, who do not live according to the flesh, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I want you to make real progress today in your journey with Jesus. What I've just read to you from Romans. 7th chapter in the first part of the 8th chapter is the Apostle Paul's description of his spiritual condition before he knew Jesus Christ. But once Jesus delivered this wretched man from his body of sin, he lived a whole new clean life by the Spirit. Now, I'd like to share with you some of what John Bunyan said about this journey. Now, what's this have to do with promises? Well, the greatest promise of all is the promise that we can be saved. What does it mean to be saved? To be rescued. When Peter was sinking fast because he asked if he could walk on water and Jesus said, yes, come to me. And so Peter came to Jesus walking on the water. And then he, growing afraid because of the wind and the waves, began to sink. And he cried out to Jesus. And Jesus reached out his hand and picked him up, saved him from the water. Now, what if Jesus had just said, Peter, go ahead and sink. Drown, and when I come back in my kingdom, I'll remember you, and i'll I'll save you then, too. No, to be saved from our sin means for Jesus to come and take us by the hand and lift us up out of that desperate place of darkness and destruction. You're not saved if you're not saved from sin. First John tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil in our lives. What were the works of the devil in our lives? Rebellion, uncleanness, sin. Jesus came to rescue us from our sin, not to leave us in it until some future date. No, he came to save us from our sin. Now in the present. What a promise from God that he would save us from our sin. But now there are understandings that block us from that salvation. Those are some of the things I'd like to share with you today. Next week, we will go in depth in the conditions for having our Our prayers and our promises from Jesus answered and activated in our lives. There are conditions. But today I want to speak with you about the spiritual aspect. Bunyan begins a chapter entitled, Stubborn Ignorance. And I have named this broadcast, Please. And I wasn't sure if I should put that down, but I did. Please, an end to stubborn ignorance. I'll begin reading for you on page 200 of Pilgrim's Progress that astonishing allegory that John Bunyan wrote in 1678 as he lay in his prison cell because he was persecuted for preaching the gospel. Now in this story, Christian is speaking to a man called Ignorance. And he inquires of Ignorance, asking, How are you doing? How stands it between God and your soul now? And Ignorance replies, I hope well, for I'm always full of good thoughts and intentions that come into my mind that comfort me as I walk. What good thoughts and intentions, Christian asked. Please tell us. Why, I think of God, and I think of heaven. So do the devils and damned souls, Christian pointed out. Oh, but, but I think of them and also desire them. Well, so do many who are never going to make it to heaven. The soul of the sluggard desires and hath nothing. Oh, but I think of them and leave all that I possess and enjoy that I might gain them, Ignorance claimed. I doubt that, Christian said, since leaving all is a hard matter. It is a much harder matter than many are aware of. But what is it that persuades you that you have left all for God and for heaven? Well, my heart tells me so. But Christian challenged him, saying, The wise man says he that trusts his own heart is a fool. This is spoken of an evil heart, but mine is a good heart, ignorance insisted. I want to stop a moment. I have on many occasions tried to speak with a person about the real gospel of Jesus, and they say to me, Pastor, I'm a good person. I'm not a sinner. I love everybody. I do my best to be a good person. Why doesn't God just accept me the way I am? Well, listen to the answer. How can you prove, Christian asks, that you have a good heart? Well, it comforts me with the hopes of heaven. That may be your heart deceiving you, Christian warned. Man's heart may comfort him with hopes that, in all truth, he should have no reason to hope for. Ignorance replied, but my heart, and my life agree together and therefore my hope is well founded who told you that your heart and your life agree together well my heart tells me so well then ask your heart ignorance if if i am a thief your heart may tell you that i am But that doesn't make it so. Unless the word of God bears witness in this matter, no other testimony is of value. But is it not a good heart that has good thoughts, ignorance questioned, and isn't a good life one that is lived according to God's commandments? Well, yes. A good heart has good thoughts, and a good life is one lived according to God's commandments. But... It is one thing indeed to have these and another thing only to think you do them. Ignorance said, Please tell me what you consider to be good thoughts and a life lived according to God's commands. So Christian replied, There are good thoughts pertaining to different things, some with respect to ourselves, some with respect to God, and others with respect to Jesus, and even other things. What do you think are good thoughts in relation to ourselves? Ignorance inquired. Christian answered, Such as agree with the word of God. Well, what kind of thoughts about ourselves agree with the word of God? Ignorance asked. So Christian explained, We think rightly of ourselves when we pass the same judgment upon ourselves. That the word passes. To explain myself more fully, the word of God says of persons in a natural condition, there is none righteous, there is none that doeth good. It also says that every imagination of the heart of man is only evil, and that continually. And again, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now then, When we think these thoughts of ourselves, our thoughts are good because they agree with the word of God. Well, ignorance answered, I'll never believe that my heart is that bad. Therefore, you have never had one good thought concerning yourself in your entire life. But let us go on. As the word passes judgment upon our heart, so it passes judgment upon our ways. When, we, when the thoughts concerning our hearts and our ways agree with the judgment that the word of God gives to both, then are both thoughts good because they agree with the word of God? I don't understand. Tell me what you mean, ignorance urged. Okay, Christian goes on. The word of God says that man's ways are crooked ways, not good, but perverse. It says that man is naturally opposed to good ways and cannot know it. Now, when a man knows in his heart and humbly believes with all of his heart that the word is right and that his ways are not good, then he has good thoughts regarding his own ways, because his thoughts now agree with the judgment of the word of God. Well, what are good thoughts concerning God? Well, Christian goes on, just as our thoughts of ourselves are good when they agree with the word of God, so are they good thoughts concerning God when they agree with what the word says of him. We must agree with the word when it teaches us about the attributes of God, which are too large a subject to talk about right now. But in reference to ourselves, we have right thoughts about God when we understand that he knows us better than we know ourselves and can see the sin in us when we cannot see any of it. Our thoughts concerning God are good, when we understand that he knows our inmost thoughts and that our heart, with all of its depths, is always clearly seen by him. Our thoughts about God are good when we think that all of our righteousness stinks in his nostrils, and therefore he cannot stand to see us come before him in our own confidence, even with our very best performance. Ignorance asks, Do you think that I am such a fool as to think God can see no further than me? Or that I could come to God in the confidence of my best performance? So, Christian asks, What do you think on this matter? So, Ignorance replies, To be short, I think I must believe in Christ for justification. How is it that you think you must believe in Christ when you do not see your need for him, Christian questioned? You neither see your original or actual infirmities? You have an opinion of yourself and of your deeds that puts you in a category of men who sees no necessity for Christ's personal righteousness to justify you before God? How can you say you believe in Christ? Well, in spite of what you say, I believe. But what do you believe? I believe that Christ died for sinners and that I shall be justified before God from the curse through His gracious acceptance of my obedience to His law. I believe that Christ makes my religious duties acceptable to His Father by virtue of His merits and so shall I be justified. Wow, are you hearing this? Is it making sense to you? There are two great streams in the Christian church. One of those streams is called Reformed. And in the Reformed theology, you can do nothing You are only a wretched sinner, and you cannot be renewed. You cannot be transformed. You simply are going to have to improve as you can, and so they give classes and workshops on strategies for successful living of the Christian life. They believe that Jesus died for your sin. But they also believe you must remain a sinner. Then there's another stream in the Christian church that encompasses probably the majority of Christians. It's how I grew up. My dad would say to me, Raymond, you have to try harder, try harder. Well, I tried as hard as I could to be good. I just couldn't cut it. I couldn't be good. I I was always messing up. I was always getting angry, fighting with somebody, saying words that should not be spoken by a a little Christian boy. Somehow there is a, a belief in many today that they believe that Jesus saves them And then they have to perform in a certain manner to be acceptable before God. Many of the holiness churches have gone this way, and they've turned to legalism. And so you have to dress a certain way, you have to act a certain way, you have to conform to their beliefs about how a righteous person should act and be. And you put that together with the righteousness of Christ, with your own constant white knuckling attempts to be righteous before God and yet you know in your heart that you're still not you're still not righteous. So those are the two great streams. You recognize the second stream is the Catholic Church's way, with penance with penitence, with saying the I Father, with saying the Hail Mary, saying going to confession trying to be a good person but never quite pulling it off and so i'm really lifting up a a third way and that third way is where jesus christ justifies us now where this differs from the Reformed theology is that with that justification is also full regeneration. Those are big words, but let me break them down a bit for you. It's the belief, and this is what John Wesley believed, and it's what I believe. It's what true holiness people have always believed before they dip into legalism, which is so easy to sink into. We believe that a man or a woman, when they come to Jesus Christ and they recognize their true condition of wickedness and they repent of their sins by the power of the blood of Jesus, they turn aside from their wickedness by the power of God. A born-again believer has the strength in Jesus to say no to sin. The scriptures say that never will a temptation come to us, but what we have also a way of escape. Not by human strength and not by white-knuckling it, not by sweating, but by prayer and supplication to the Father. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we were transformed and were changed. Jesus changes us. I used to have a, a horrible temper. I would quickly defend myself as a boy with my fists. Later, I would quickly defend myself with sharp words, clever statements turning a person's accusations back on themselves and making them the guilty party. And I finally cried out to the Lord and asked Him to remove this from me. And He removed it. Now, there are some alcoholics, for example, who will go to a STEP program Alcoholics Anonymous. And they will always say, I'm an alcoholic and I'm in recovery. Praise God, there is another way and that is where a person simply comes before the Lord and waits upon him and cries out to him. And AA may be helpful in that process. It has been for many people that I know. But finally, they die out to themselves by the grace of Jesus Christ and they are transformed. They are made into a new creature. They are born from above. All addiction has a very powerful demonic element mixed into the to the addiction. Addictions are not simply psychological problems. They are demonic problems. Now, what I'm saying to you is the same thing that is being said by Bunyan. But Bunyan was a Reformed Baptist. But he also did not believe in walking in sin. Contrary to the gospel that is preached by many pastors today, all that I know on the radio station preach that reformed message. Bunyan preached a different message. He preached that there was regeneration with conversion. You understand what I mean by regeneration. If my right arm is cut off, and I just have a stump there. Regeneration would mean that that arm would totally grow out again, and I would have a hand and an arm, and it would be functional. Regeneration means that I am transformed back into the image of God, and I'm no longer a moral failure by the grace and the might of Jesus Christ and His blood by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, I am made righteous. Now, if you want to study further on that, read carefully Romans, the sixth chapter, and it will detail for you the process by which this is accomplished in your life. <clears throat> if there is no regeneration, there is no salvation. We are not saved by works. My works do not earn anything before the throne of God. I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But the blood of Jesus Christ regenerates me. It makes me into a new creature. It restores me. And now I can walk joyfully in the glorious message of the cross of Jesus Christ. So ignorance, he asserts, I believe that Christ died for sinners and that I shall be justified before God from the curse through his gracious acceptance of my obedience to his law. No. We are not justified before God from the curse through God's acceptance of our obedience to his law. It's not true. Ignorance is just that. He's ignorant. Rather, Jesus regenerates us and makes us into a new creature. And because he has regenerated us and made us into a new creature, every bondage can now be broken by the blood. Every curse can be removed by the blood. Some would quickly say, well, you still have to pay the consequences. No, Jesus paid the consequences on the cross. I'll give you a very specific illustration. My late wife and myself many years ago were in a dire situation shortly after we were married. And we had no income. And we ran up a personal credit card debt of $70,000 and we could not pay it back. And finally, the day came when we had nothing. We were out of food. We were at the end. And because I was crying out to the Lord, he answered, and he asked me the question, Will you receive from my hand only what I choose to give you? Yes, Lord. That was the most momentous decision I've ever made in my life. It meant that I could not ask anyone for money. I could not ask anyone for anything to take care of me personally, but rather everything that I would receive would come directly from the hand of God. It would not come by my manipulation or my begging. It would come from the hand of God. And I testify now that for more than 20 years, actually pushing 30 years, I have not been on any salary. I have simply cried out to God and he has met my need. Now what did we do with the $70,000? It needed to be paid back. We had used that money... And the Lord said, do not declare bankruptcy, that is, stealing. Okay, Lord, what do we do? Some would say, well, Pastor Ray, you incurred the debt, go get a job, slave away, and pay that $70,000. That is one way you can deal with it. But I believe that God pays the consequences not just forgives us for our sins, but also takes those consequences and turns them into something powerful and good and healthy so that out of that, he brings something worthwhile. So my wife and I took all of the bills, the bills for $70,000, and we laid them out in the living room, and we got down on our faces before God. And we went over bill by bill, credit card by credit card. We confessed our sin, and we asked Jesus, will you now pay this credit card bill? Yes. 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 Okay, Lord, how do we do it? call and make arrangements, offer them $50 a month for each credit card. Well, remember, we had no job. We had no means of income. We could not ask anybody to help cover our personal bills because we were only going to receive from the hand of Jesus what he gave us. So how do we handle it? (laughs) A man that I'd known some time earlier, found our address, talked to friends and found where we were at. And he began that month to send us $300 every month. We never asked him to do that. Every month he sent us a $300 check. Others that we had not asked began to send us, every month, money. Now, please, I was not pastoring a church. I was spending my entire time, and my wife was spending her entire time searching the scriptures and praying, seeking the face of God. And the Lord brought that money out of nowhere. Month after month after month, as we were before him. Now, several large sums of money came, and we prayed about those unexpected things, like an insurance settlement, uh, like a retirement uh, money my wife had from a prior job, and they sent us a payout check. All of these, the Lord said, put on that 70,000. And by the year 2000, we were totally debt-free. The Lord paid it all. Now, did I have to go out and get a job? If he had told me, I would have done that. But he had said to me, will you receive from my hand only what I give you? Yes, I will. Well, that doesn't mean going out and getting a job and having the job pay unless he said to do that and unless he opened the door for that but he didn't so God not only forgives us but he pays the consequences he pays the consequences he regenerates us He makes us into new creatures. When we enter into covenant with him, and we keep that covenant of grace, not of works, then he delivers us. Ignorance asserts, I believe that Christ died for sinners, and that I shall be justified before God from the curse through his gracious acceptance of my obedience to his law. No. I believe that Christ makes my religious duties acceptable to his Father by virtue of his merits, and so shall I be justified. Well, Christian said, let's discuss your confession of faith. First, you believe with a fantasy faith. For this faith is nowhere described in the Scriptures. You also believe that a false faith that takes justification away from the personal righteousness of Jesus and credits it to you. The faith you describe makes Christ a justifier of your actions, not of your person. Thus, according to this faith, you're justified by your actions which is false. Therefore, this faith is deceitful and will leave you under God's wrath in the day of judgment. True justifying faith makes the soul aware of its lost condition under the law. The soul that comes to the righteousness of Christ for refuge understands that it is Christ's righteousness alone that is acceptable to God. It is not a mixture of both Christ's obedience and our attempts at obedience that justify us to God. Your obedience is worthless and full of sin, and is only the obedience. It is only the obedience of Jesus Christ that God accepts as payment for your sins. <coughs> Pardon me. True faith causes the soul. To flee, to flee to the righteousness of Christ for relief from the condemnation that we deserve. And it is Christ's righteousness alone that will be presented as spotless before God, accepted by him as payment for our debt of sin. What? Would you have us trust in what Christ alone has accomplished without adding our own accomplishments? Believing in Christ and his righteousness would give us complete abandon to live as we choose the moment we believed it. This way of thinking would loosen the reins of our lust and permit us to disobey God's commands to our heart's content. Ignorance is your name, and as your name is, so are you. Your answer demonstrates what I say. You are ignorant of what justifying righteousness is, and you are ignorant of how to secure your soul through faith from the heavy wrath of God. Yes, and you are also ignorant of the true effects of saving faith in the righteousness of Christ, the effects of which are to bend and win over the heart to God in Christ. The heart won over to him will love his name, his word, his ways, his people. Saving faith will not, as you ignorantly imagine, give license to do evil, but will instead give the earnest desire and the power to do good. you understand what I'm saying to you today? The greatest miracle of God is to save a human person. It is a supernatural work of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot save yourself. All of your attempts to save yourself are vain and worthless before God. But you can repent. Jesus commanded men everywhere to repent. Now, repentance includes turning away from sin. And that comes to us by the power of Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives us the power. He is the one who breaks the addiction. Don't make the mistake of thinking that it's Christ's righteousness plus your righteousness that earns you a place in heaven. It is all of Jesus. Yes, and to be justified means to be made righteous. Dikosune, the word used in the Greek In the old covenant, meant to cover your sin. But in the new covenant, it means to remove your sin, to forgive you for your sin, to take it away from you, to utterly change and transform your life. I can hear some of you saying, Pastor, what are you talking about? This is something that has to be revealed to you from Jesus. Hopeful lads, ask him if he ever had Christ revealed to him from heaven. What? You're a man who believes in revelations? Ignorance protested. I believe that that what both of you and all the rest of your kind say about that matter is the fruit of a distracted brain. Hopeful, Christ is so hidden in God from the natural apprehensions of the flesh that he cannot by any man be rightly and savingly known unless God the Father reveals him to them. Well, that's your faith, not mine, ignorance asserted. I believe that my faith is as good as yours, although it does not fill my head with so many whimsical ideas as your faith does. Christian spoke up and said, Give me a moment to put in a word. You ought not to speak so lightly of this matter. For this I will boldly affirm, even as my good companion has done, that no man can know Jesus Christ except by the revelation of the Father. Even faith also by which the soul lays hold upon Christ, if it is right and good faith, must be wrought by the exceeding greatness of his mighty power. I perceive poor ignorance, that you are also ignorant of how true saving works, its effects in the life of a true believer. Wake up! See your own wretchedness and fly to the Lord Jesus. He is the righteousness of God, for he himself is God. Only by believing in his righteousness will you be delivered from condemnation. Ah, you're going too fast, ignorance complained. I cannot keep pace with you. You go ahead. I'm going to stay behind for a while. And they stopped walking together. That's from Pilgrim's Progress. Written by John Bunyan. What I want you to catch. I'm going to read Romans the 8th chapter. I'll start with verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit of life is peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God, or the sinful mind hates God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. However, you are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So let's wrap up today. The simple truth is that Jesus came to save you from your sin. And he does not intend to leave you in your sin. But when you have the revelation of Jesus Christ and you see the utter wickedness of your own heart, you turn from that sin by the power of the blood of Jesus. Now, many today in the modern Christian church in America have a fantasy faith that is not saving faith And if they don't have a new revelation of Jesus Christ and fall under deep conviction of their wicked hearts, they will fill hell's door. It is not those who say, I'm a Christian who will be saved. It is those who have a true comprehension of the depth of the wickedness of their own hearts and who now have turned that to Jesus Christ and been transformed into a new creature, who now rejoice in righteous living, having been forgiven or having their sins having been removed from them, and now they rejoice because something changed in them by the power of the Spirit of God, and now there is an earnest desire there is a seeking after Jesus. There is a, a hunger to read his word. They no longer watch the television. They no longer spend their time watching YouTube videos. They no longer are searching after the entertainment. They don't have a taste for the, for the football teams or the baseball teams or the basketball teams. All of that is foolishness before God. They no longer are interested in the clubs with drinking, with smoking, They're no longer interested in in carousing or partying. Pride is reduced to nothing. Humility takes possession. Their heart is now filled with compassion and mercy and kindness An earnest desire to see brothers and sisters brought into the fullness of the revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ and then not to stay at the foot of the cross, but to travel right on through the cross into the glorious presence of Jesus, the risen Lord. They must see the crucified Christ, but they must also see the risen Christ and be transformed by the likeness of Jesus. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm glad you've been with me today. I'm concerned. We're coming to the end of the month of July, and we're still just about halfway there for radio cost. If you'd like to contribute and help cover the cost, you're welcome to. You can help by going to nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. And you can also write to me. Go to our webpage. You'll find all the information there at nationalprayerchapel.com. You're also welcome to come on Sunday. We worship the Lord from 10 o'clock to noon, and then we have a, a luncheon together. It's a small group, but it's a very intimate group. And we're enjoying our journey together toward the promised land, toward the celestial city. If you'd like to come and be a part of that, you're welcome to come. Again, directions you can find at the webpage nationalprayerchapel.com. Now let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your great mercy. Lord, I know there's no possible way for me to enter into the kingdom of God except by your mercy, except by your grace. I know, Lord, that without your miraculous mighty intervention in the heart of every man and woman they will be lost and there is no hope for them now I pray Lord that you will move with great power to redeem your people Lord would you come would you come would you meet us?
1: Thank you, Lord.
0: I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I pray this has been a helpful message to you. If you need to, listen to it more than once. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to it. I want to see you in the heaven above that's why I do this broadcast I want you to find your way to Jesus so God bless you I love you we'll talk soon